0: Alright, hey everybody, welcome back to Patriot to the Core. This is Tim Larkin, Part 2. If you haven't listened to Part 1 yet, I split this one up because he gave me a lot of time and he gave me a lot of detail about his background, which I really appreciated. So in Part 1, we talk about his career in the military, actually before he even went in the military, why he went in the Navy, why he wanted to be a SEAL, why he was prepared to be a seal from a very young age and why he was taking cold showers as a young teenager and how he would sneak on base there at Coronado and work out and exercise. He got in trouble and kicked off there for a while, but then they kind of started letting him hang around and see what was going on. Uh, So then we lead up to uh, where he starts his business now, Target-focused training, That's where we're going to pick up here. If you are not familiar with Tim Larkin, that's probably a good thing because he told me that most of the civilians that he he meets or that come to his classes, they come to him because they've been attacked. It's been some type of violent encounter, and they want to learn how to protect themselves. He's an author of When Violence is the Answer, that's his latest book. He also is the author of some other books that I've got in the show notes. I really liked what the guy teaches. I like uh, what he teaches about mindset and then training, and he does not sugarcoat anything. I mean, you have to understand that there are violent people out there, and he he shares the difference between social and asocial behavior. There are people that want to harm you, and we need to be able to protect ourselves if that happens. So what he's kind of known for is violence is rarely the answer, but when it is, it's the only answer. All right. So let's hear
1: from Tim. By not having to train under him, I was free to sit there and really look at the program and say, "Okay, with nothing held back, you know, with with no no preconceived notions, what's the best way to deliver this information that gives the client the best result?" And that's kind of where you know target focused training started coming together, and, and the whole idea of injury came right back. The idea that that's the most important thing. The most important thing is that. You know, the only thing that changes anything to y- in, a, in a truly facing grievous bodily harm situation is if you can put an injury on the other guy. And an injury bypasses bigger, faster and stronger. And my thought process was, you know, most people only have time to do like a seminar and therefore if I'm going to have them for a short amount of time, I got to look at it like a high density training protocol, similar to what I did in the military. But, you know, the requirements that I put myself and my instructors under was this, is that you have to imagine it's on Friday you get information that a loved one, whoever you want to think about, Monday morning is going to be facing a social violence. You're going to know that the threat is bigger, faster, and stronger. You're going to know the threat carries weapons, and there's going to be more than one. Knowing that, you have two days, Saturday and Sunday, to work with this loved one because you're not going to be there when it happens. They're going to have to deal with this themselves. Knowing that, what would you train them? And that was really profound because that got us to really focus on efficiency. I mean, effectiveness first, you know, making sure that everything you teach somebody out of the gate is immediately effective and usable to them. And that once you meet somebody effective You then have the ability to make them efficient later, but efficiency is a luxury. Effectiveness, as Peter Drucker pointed out, effectiveness is learning to do, learning the right things first, which is the most important, identifying what are the right things. And then efficiency is doing the right things the right way. And that's kind of how I approach training a client. The most important thing is that they need to understand how to injure a sensory system or a structure of the human body. They need to understand that there are areas in the body that are susceptible to injury, regardless of strength and size that no matter how much conditioning you do, you can't, um, you can't protect these areas of the human body. And so all of us as humans are susceptible to injury in these areas. And once you understand and focus solely on those areas, you you can get a huge result you can you can literally bypass bigger faster and stronger when you understand that and um it's it's kind of <clears throat> being able to give somebody the Rosetta stone to self protection you know when it comes to dealing with other humans that was my passion and that's that's really what I started to kind of focus on and I gave a class on September 9th 2001 in New York City about a block away from the World Trade Center. I was done on the, the 9th and 10th was when, I'm sorry, the 8th and 9th is when I did the seminar. I flew home on the 10th. I woke up the morning of the 11th to 9-11 and the area that I had just been training was completely wiped out, um, from the, from the, the things coming down. Now, what was interesting was the guys I was training were all international bankers, financiers. They flew all over the world, and they wanted to film the training for their own personal use. It was never supposed to be distributed or anything. It was just these, you know, I had a film crew there filming it. People called me up that whole week that were there telling me their stories, how a couple of guys were in there. They all got out. Fortunately, everybody in my class all got out, um, but they had all lost friends. And they said how fascinating it was because one of the things I was showing them was all the things that you can bring on an airplane that are sold out. And I showed like a box cutter. I showed a lot of the things that obviously came out in the news after. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the guys were shocked. And I also told you know the idea that hey you know the most important thing is that you injure somebody. And these guys to a man said hey you should you should use these tapes. You, more people need to see. It. I want my I want my family to see these tapes. I want the you know. And so this became the 9-11 tapes, which really kind of changed my focus from corporate and, you know, uh, military law enforcement, which is really kind of my world where I was at, you know, either really exclusive corporate security or, you know, super high-end VIP type, you know, personnel and contract work to now is going more broad-based civilian after 9-11. And that's where, you know, target-focused training kind of really took off. And, um, you know, today I still do probably 25% of my training is probably professional. You know, and what I mean by that is, you know, the professional protectors, you know, military law enforcement, um, also corporate protectors, you know, I'll I'll do those classes. But the vast majority, 75% now are just regular civilians from all walks of life.
0: Well, that's one thing that's a lot about (laughs) your book when violence is the answer is, uh, is that your second book or?
1: Yeah, that's my third. Third, my third, okay. third yeah. Uh,
0: one thing great about it is you've got these um, stories from former students and they've how they've applied, you know, what you've taught them. I mean, is there any? I mean, there's. I remember there's a lady that was attacked in a Home Depot parking lot that you talk about. There was a girl in college yep. who a guy climbed through her window and tried to rape her, and she was able to to, to inflict pain or injury and got him off and. There's so many good examples in there.
1: Yeah, and well the whole idea behind the book and the reason I wrote the book is because I want to reach and I mean that's why I appreciate, you know, being able to come on podcasts like yours and speak to your audience because I'm hoping that a vast majority of the people that are listening to this right now are people that have not had violence enter their life yet. You know, seventy um, percent of the people that come, like if you don't know my name, it's probably a good thing because the majority of people that come and train with me are people that have already had violence occur in their life. Usually it averages out to about seven, uh, 70%. And only 30% are proactive and come out prior to something, you know, affecting their lives. And and I can't undo what's already been done. I mean, if violence has happened to you, um, all I can do is is, you know, come back, show you, okay, here's, Here's a whole new game plan that you can apply. This will minimize the chance of violence ever re-entering your life again. And here are the here are the skill sets. Worst case scenario, if the Black Swan event happens, how you can protect yourself using your brain and body to take out the other guy. Um, and and that's great. But I can't undo what's already happened. Whereas if I meet somebody who hasn't had violence enter their life and I can get this information to them, there's a really great chance that if they apply the knowledge, they can create a lifestyle and they can create a an awareness that minimizes the chance of asocial violence ever coming into their life. So that that's why it's great. And, and I knew I could reach more people, you know, via the book um, than I can, you know, in live trainings. I, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to be able to train all the people that want to train. Um, but I can put out some really great principles and you know, the book's already got a lot of feedback from people just saying that, you know, they've, they've changed behaviors, which is huge. My real goal is, as you go through the book, I'm hoping people will identify things that they're doing, risks that they're taking, that the book kind of graphically, you know, gives very good, you know, uh, we, we mix, you know, real life stories with real information. And I think it's a good mix. It's an entertaining read, but People come back and tell me that it's, it literally has compelled behavioral change, which is really what I was gunning for when I put the book together. Um, be, because most people don't understand a lot of the unnecessary risks they're taking, and what I I I, the, I try to put it akin to um, prior to reading the book, a lot of people were sleeping with their heads on a railroad track, thinking everything's fine because the train hasn't come by yet, and. After reading the book, I hope people realize, hey, you know what? If I just don't sleep with my head on the railroad track, I'm not going to have to worry about that train. And and that's really what I try to do with this is just make – have people make better decisions. Um, and you, you have to do that through stories that, you know, you're talking about where people, unfortunately, you know, had to use the information to save their lives. But what's interesting is the two people that you talked about there, there are two females – each one of them in their own way were individuals that when they went through training, I, you know, I oftentimes will say, geez, I hope this person gets a pass. You know, I mean, I don't want anything to happen to any of my clients, but there are some people that would, they react to the material So it's so difficult for them to deal with that. You just hope that they don't ever have to, to deal with that. And that's, that's a weird thing. Every time I train a group, I know statistically somebody in that class most likely is going to have to use the information, but I can never predict who the hell it is. And it always comes back to me with stories like what you're talking about. You know, in the Home Depot, that woman, she had such a hard time with the material. She had been assaulted before. Um, She literally had to stop herself during the training um, because it was very emotional for her because she was, you know, reliving a lot of, you know, her for former you know, assault. And, of course, this is the woman that, as she's at Home Depot, buying some potting um, uh, some potting plants and some uh, fertilizer, you know, she gets attacked. She gets literally lifted up off off of her feet by a guy who's trying to throw her into his van. And what was interesting was what she said. You know, she said as soon as she was lifted up off her feet, She realized it was happening again, but there was almost like a sense of calm that came over her because she did have concealed carry, and she realized, I can't get to it. It's not in my hand, so that's not my primary weapon. And she realized that the way the guy grabbed her, freed up her arm, And she could turn into him and strike with her elbow to the side of the neck. And that's exactly what she did. And by striking the side of the neck, there's two nerves and a vein and an artery. And you interrupt blood flow and nerve flow. So you're either going to get a vasovagal response, which is kind of like a fainting response, or you're going to get a concussion. And she got kind of the vasovagal response. The guy started to go down. And as he was going down, the next thing that she saw was his knee. And she just went right up on top of the kneecap and stomped with all of her might. And she ended up flamingoing his, his, uh, leg, breaking the, uh, breaking the leg above the knee. And she saw when he hit the ground that he was done. He literally was just, you know, reaching for his leg. He was rolling around, riffing, screaming. She realized, Oh, okay. He's incapacitated. This is. It's over, meaning she didn't feel the need to draw her weapon and call. And by then, of course, security got involved, and the police came. and the Police were incredulous when they when they talked to her. They said, "You would have been absolutely justified in shooting this guy. Why didn't you?" And her thing was, her response was really interesting. She said, "Well, I already knew he was he was non functional. There was nothing he's going to do, so I didn't have to shoot him at that point." and And that's the kind of thing. Now, this is from a woman who literally going through training had to take herself off the mats multiple times because she was shaking. You know, um, and that's that's the rewarding stuff. When I, I I never like to hear when a client has to actually use the physical training information. But what's great about it is the way we do the training, it's readily you know it's readily available to you. And the reason it's usable is because we focus on effectiveness first and we make sure that people are effective and are able to protect themselves first with very straightforward strikes and information.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, in that situation, so hitting him in the neck with the elbow was more would have been is more effective than like hitting in the, the side of the head with the elbow or
1: the, the yeah. face. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know, it's really funny cause in the UFC, um, I see it. I see the side of the neck used all the time, but people don't identify it as such. You'll see people getting kicked, shin kicked to the side of the neck. You'll see people getting punched. You know, they're, they're actually trying for the jaw and they go lower and they hit the side of the neck and the guy just goes out. It's, it's, it's a very effective strike. Um, and it's instantaneous in the results that you get, but, and it's legal. It's not a illegal strike in the UFC. Um, but it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's far more effective than hitting somebody to the side of the head because you're going to go for a concussion there, um, and and it's a good strike. Don't get me wrong, but far more reliable is side of the neck. Hmm. And I, that and I that's that's a, that's the whole idea. The whole idea, just to explain to your your listeners, the biggest change that I make in people is, you know. Normally, when we look at another human being who wants to physically dominate us in some way, shape, or form, or is threatening us, we tend to notice all the differences in them. Meaning, they're bigger than me, they're faster than me, they're younger than me, they're more aggressive than me, they're, you know, um, you know, wh- whatever the differences are. Whereas, what you learn from alpha predators, you know, when you look into like the prison systems, and how these alpha predators look at another human being they what really differentiates us is not what a lot of us think we would think oh this guy's you know, they're superhuman they're they're not like us well that's kind of true they're not like us because they do think differently in a lot of ways you know they're they're social but it's something that we can easily apply to ourselves to our own for our own self protection and probably the greatest thing is they don't look at the differences in a human being they look at the similarities so whereas we might be saying, oh, my God, this guy's so much taller than me, the alpha predator will sit there and go, oh, he has a throat like me. Um, where we'll say, oh, my gosh, he's he's faster than me, they'll say, oh, look, he has a knee like me. And and that's the greatest advantage is, is you directly, you just redirect, because both things are true. It's just what truth is most useful to you, and that the truth that is most useful to you when your life is on the line is where can you get a big result on the other person. And th- this is why I call it like the Rosetta Stone of self-protection. You know, when you understand this, you immediately go there. Same thing with her. She got grabbed and the first thing she realized what, what's available to me, she assessed what was available to her and she goes, okay, where's a target? And she found a target. She found a place to put the work into and get a result. And, and it was just that simple. Now, if we took that individual that grabbed her and we threw both of them in a ring and they both knew what was happening, meaning, you know, you, you know you're know, you going to fight her and it's all even and everybody knows what's up. Well, we know how that would have ended up. You know, this guy, mm-hmm. this, this guy, yeah, in a traditional match. And so I try to tell people all the time, it's not, I'm not training people. To be competitors and to be good at that—if you, if, you know—training somebody to be a competitive combat sport athlete is just amazing. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable amounts of work, unbelievable amounts of dedication. You know, you're pitting skill against skill, and it takes years to be even adequate at doing that. And you know, to rise above into you know the the, the true competition area. You're like, you know, one in a thousand practitioners that can even look at at competing professionally uh, if you're lucky. Um, whereas everybody, everybody can learn the skill sets of destruction. They're ridiculously simple and they're highly effective. Um, people say to me all the time, they say, Oh, well, you know, your system's so great. Why isn't it in the UFC? And I'll say it is. And it's undefeated, meaning it's it's not it actually actually hasn't won anything. It hasn't it hasn't won an award, but it's ended every conflict that it's ever been in. It's ended every single fight. And you know, of course, I'm screwing with people. Um, But it is true. And what I'm talking about is injury to the human body. You'll see two behemoths going at it, two amazing athletes going at it. And they're strategic with each other. It's usually a really good battle. And then an accident happens. A guy rolls up and maybe he snaps the other guy's ankle. Or, you know, he comes in and he pokes the guy in the eye by accident. And all of a sudden, it's over. That's it. You see the rough come in and, you know, they're taking the injury away. Well, in violence, that's where it's the beginning is. Once you get an injury is the beginning of violence and it's the beginning of, you know, taking out, taking out the other person. So that's where all the good information is. Where do these injuries come? And the injuries that we need to look at are all found in sports data, you know, uh, basically sports injury data. And the reason you want to look at sports injury data is because it's humans colliding with humans and humans colliding with the earth. And those are forces that you and I can replicate. And that's where these structures and sensory systems keep coming up in the literature of injury. And that's what we focus on. You know, that's specifically what I, what I teach people is how to do that. And you don't need a lot. Yeah, there's approximately 70 areas, and some of them have uh, bilateral targets. So you're looking at right around 100 and between 120, 130 areas of the human body that you can injure. But you only need a small portion of that to be really effective. You don't have to remember all those areas. You just have to understand, you know, where to put your efforts. And, and that's the really interesting part. I mean, I love, I love being able to train people in the skill sets of destruction and just watch their, watch their whole outlook change, and, and not giving them a false sense of security. They absolutely understand that they know how to exploit an opportunity that a predator gives them. And that's really all we're doing. All she did when she got grabbed from the Home Depot is she, uh, you know, she understood how to exploit that opportunity to get an injury. And this guy that grabbed her didn't see her as a threat. And that's, that's where, you know, that's what I want for each one of my clients. You know, if a predator, alpha predator comes in and threatens asocial violence that they do so in a way where they don't think this person is a threat and they give them an opportunity. And hopefully my person's going to be able to exploit that opportunity.
0: Tim, i got a few more questions. Do you have a few more minutes? Yeah,
1: you- absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: One thing that uh, you talk about is how we attract those who don't follow normal social rules. And uh, will you elaborate on that? And, and and what is the what are some of the greatest mistakes that we make by attracting these type of aso- asocial people?
1: Um, it's not so much that we attract them. We uh, w- what I tell people we don't recognize the difference between antisocial aggression and asocial violence, and and really that's that's the big hallmark um, for people is, is understanding the difference. You know the the. The quote that I'm known for is, it's a two part quote. And basically, the first part of the quote is, when violence, um, <clears throat> violence is rarely the answer, is the first part. And everybody loves that part, you know, because, yeah, they all, we all think about, yep, you're right, violence is, you know, we can do that. The second part is the difficult part for most people, which is when it is the answer, but when it is the answer, it's the only answer. And, and that really is the hallmark. And basically what we're saying, the first part of that is antisocial aggression is avoidable and therefore does not need to be responded to with violence. But the black swan event of asocial violence, when you are facing imminent grievous bodily harm and you're devoid of choice, unfortunately the only tool that's going to get you out of there is, is violence and you need to know how to use the tool of violence. And the way I best get that across, I talk, I talk about a story in the book of a young, um, a young lawyer in London that got assaulted in a park by two guys. And they threw him up against a tree. They put knives to his neck. They demanded his watch, his wallet, his briefcase. Uh, I think he gave some other jewelry that he had. And he did all of that, and they left. The two, the two guys left. And everybody loves that part. Of the story because he did everything that especially the UK um, the UK law enforcement tells people to do you know don't resist give them what they want.
0: Um, By the way, you're banned there, right?
1: Yeah, I am banned okay. there. Um, and then they walked they walked away and left and that and like I said, I said, okay, great. He used his social skills and it worked out really well. But then they came back. And when they came back, their heads were down, their knives were drawn, they ran up to him, and they stabbed him multiple times and killed him. And people said they they heard him screaming, why, why, why? I gave you everything, I gave you everything. And literally what had happened was when those guys walked away, one says to the other, hmm, he saw our faces. That's probably not a good thing. And they literally just nodded. They both nodded, turned around, and that's as much thought as they gave to it and they just ran him down and killed him. What I want any client of mine to know is the difference between the two situations. The first part of the situation where they were up against a tree asking him for his watch and his wallet, that is antisocial aggression, meaning there's communication going on. It's unpleasant communication, but there's still communication. And while there's still communication going on, you have the choice. I'm not saying you should. You have the choice to respond with your social skills. And if you you can choose to try to use your social skills to talk your way out of the situation or, or get yourself out of there. The second situation, I want all my people to realize that, hey, that was imminent, grievous bodily harm. There was no social involved in any of it. It was completely an asocial situation. And the only thing that would have worked for him in that particular situation is for him to be able to use a tool of violence to protect himself. And he didn't have anything. He didn't have anything in in the uh, toolbox for that, um, and, and that's a sad. That's that's a it's a, a really sad story. It really shook the UK when I was over there, um, when I when I first heard that story. Um, but I think it's it's really kind of the hallmark of how to define between antisocial aggression and asocial violence.
0: What do you teach your kids about protecting themselves?
1: Um, two things with, with kids. I. I I teach, um, I teach them communication, and I am teaching them movement. Like all of them are learning gymnastics right now because I think that's going to be a really good thing for the rest of their life. As far as, um, I found the best practitioners in my stuff, and uh, you know, combat sports, martial arts. If they have a background in gymnastics or dance, believe it or not, um, they they really understand movement. And if I have a guy that really understands movement and has really good kinesthetic awareness, I can teach them quicker. So I do that, but I have no illusions about child predators and a kid's ability to protect themselves. It's, it's, it's just, it's not even, a, it's not even close to a fair fight. These child predators are, are savvy as hell. They're, they know how to talk to kids. They know how to fool them. They know how to bait them. And so ultimately it's up to our, us as parents. And this does not mean we have to be, you know, hover parents, um, helicopter parents, but we do need to understand that we cannot expect a young child to have the mental and physical wherewithal to be able to protect themselves. And, and the, 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 uh, analogy that I use is, you know, does the lioness expect the lion cub to do a little bit of training and be able to fight off a hyena? And, you know, the answer is no. It's, it's the lioness that has to be able to fight off the hyena. And it's going to be us that's going to have to take care of our kids. And our job is to get them to a point to where, yes, they can start, you know, taking care of themselves. But that's going to be much further down the road than most of us would like. Um, and and unfortunately, you see, like, you see all these reports uh, where they'll put kids through self-protection training all day and then stranger danger and all of that. And then they'll run an exercise, a controlled exercise, where they use role players and these role players within, you know, Literally, under under a minute, oftentimes can talk a kid with a puppy or candy or something or some plea for help. They can get them into a car, even though, though they've just had this training right out the gate. It's just just mentally, you know, kids aren't mentally and emotionally aren't able to protect themselves from that type of a predator effectively. Mm. And I know it's not the answer anybody wants to hear, and I'm not anti-martial arts for kids. I think all of that's great. I think Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is a good foundation. It all comes down to the instructor, but don't kid yourself. You're doing it because you want your child to, you know, it would be good for like, say, anti-bullying and stuff like that for sure. Yes, yeah, a kid learning how to protect themselves, but don't think it's gonna, it, it's gonna somehow help um, ultimately against a dedicated adult that is, you know, you know, hunting children, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, we just have to be very blunt about that.
0: You, you talked about, or you talked about in the book, about uh, cell phones and headphones and, you know, people, uh, a guy risking his life for his cell phone and maybe a, you know, an attack on a train or a bus, and nobody knew it because they were yep. all staring at their phones.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the big thing. I just did a talk at Google, um, and it was great. I was invited to talk to all the Google. Uh, they definitely. Like they have speakers come in all the time and on various topics, and uh, this one really hit home with them because I showed the video that you're talking about. It's a video of a Seattle bus uh, armed robbery on a Seattle bus where. It's just incredulous. This guy literally is walking down the middle of the aisle of the bus with a blazing, you know, just, just brazenly having his firearm out, putting it in front of people who are all, they're all immersed in their phones, and he's just, you know, taking their phones, taking their, you know, uh, their stuff, but nobody's communicating with anybody. Then he finally gets into this one guy who's completely immersed in his uh, video on his iPhone, the gun literally comes over the phone into his nose and he's looking down the barrel of a gun. And to his credit, he redirects the gun, redirects the vector, penetrates forward, which is exactly what you should do. And now he's got this amazing opportunity because in his other hand, he has his phone and he could easily use it to bludgeon the attacker, you know, the, the guy with the firearm, mm. would have been a great move for him. But no, instead, he literally is taking his phone and trying to get it into his overcoat pocket as he's coming, you know, towards this guy. So he's facing death. He's facing grievous bodily harm with a gun literally in his face. And his first movement after redirecting the firearm is to secure his phone. Rather than protect himself, yeah. it's just that's how much these things have grabbed our attention, um, and, and right, and, and they have. And, and it's I'm not one of these people that you know bemoans the fact. Oh, we gotta get off phones. I don't think people understand how highly addictive it is. You know, we've always talked about. Uh, I have a neurologist in one of my uh, mastermind groups. He's a he's a brilliant guy, and he was talking to us, and and we were talking about. You know, you've probably always heard. Uh, the act of writing something down. If you're writing down your notes, you have a much better chance of, of retaining that information. And the reason being is in your thumb, there is a nerve that basically, you know, goes directly to the brain. And so it stimulates the brain when, when, when you're doing that. And so that's the theory behind it. And so, you know, he brought that up to us and he goes, you guys all know about what I'm talking about. which oh, yeah, yeah, We've, that's why we all take notes and blah, blah, blah. He goes, okay, what do you think would happen to the brain if both thumbs were working at the same time? What kind of stimulus do you think that would be? And we were just like, it hit us all at once. Sure. So when you were texting, the reason we often text when we could easily do a quick phone call and be much faster is because there's more stimulation to the brain having both our thumbs Move and text, and and people get caught up in all of that, and that's that's how powerful these things are. So what I try to point out to people is, here's what we're doing: we're willingly giving up sensory systems. You know, when we're when we're on here, and I'm not trying to tell people that hey, you got to give up your smartphone. You just have to be smart about it. You have to understand what you're doing to yourself in a public environment when you give up your sensory systems like this, and how powerful the draw is to this and just the loss of situational awareness
0: man tim there's a ton more i'd like to cover with you uh, when violence is the answer is an awesome book the, the reviews on it on amazon are all very 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 positive and um man it, you, you talk about all kinds of stuff i mean you know how you, you, i think something like when you when you meet new people you you at like you're your six seconds away from them opening fire, I think. And, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, that, and let me just, explain, it's not a paranoid thing. It's like people, people ask me all the time. They go, what, you know, how, how do you go through life? And and with people that I don't know, I assume, I assume the another person, it, you know, is, it sounds extreme, but when you think about it, it's actually a great way to live. I assume the other person is six seconds away from a shooting spree. And I don't want to be the person to trigger it. Therefore, how would you communicate with a person like that? Well, you'd be, you'd be probably overly friendly, helpful. Um, and you're not trying to, to cause any, you know, major deals, you know, major emotional deals. You're not trying to cause con- conflict or anything. And I found it to be a highly effective way of thinking about things when you're in unfamiliar areas. Because what happens is we get used to say at work we, we talk to each other a certain way and we can, we can get away with things because we know all the players and we know how they respond to things. And oftentimes if we use some of that, you know, sarcastic humor or some of that aggressive behavior that works great in the boardroom amongst other individuals that aren't going to react, um, violently to that. We use it out in the outside world with a bunch of people that we have no idea what their backgrounds are or how they look at things. You can get yourself in incredible trouble, um, unnecessarily. And and therefore, if you just, you know, if you just look at, look at things, and I I give a very extreme example of treating somebody like they are literally six seconds away from a shooting spree to get the point across. Be nice, you know, when you communicate, don't, Don't go there right away. Don't hit the, don't hit the, uh, don't hit the aggression unnecessarily. You know, it's, you have no idea how it could end up. You could get a disproportional response that you're just not prepared for.
0: How many times have you been on the cover of Black Belt Magazine?
1: Mm, I think about four times. (laughs)
0: Okay. All right. So I guess maybe we won't go into it here, but, you know, you, you, you definitely talk about, you give some examples in your life of how you've, Almost been in some situations and how hey, you've remained calm. Well, when you remained calm and when you didn't. Until yeah, I guess you you saw the guys, uh, little girl in the back of the car and right. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, if you if you don't want me to leave people hanging, you can tell it. But I just I just know that you give some great examples in your life as well. And have you restrained yourself?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't want people to ever think. Um, yeah, I, I give a couple of examples in the book, and again, it's not to you know to self-aggrandize, and I don't I don't need to tell the stories right now. If people want to check the book out; they they can see it. But the point, the point of those stories is to let people know that hey, I get it; I'm human. You know, I I know. You know, I, one story I talk about is with my friends, and I ended up taking action in a situation that I had no idea the other person involved was stupid enough to bring a small child. Uh, into the situation and it was just jarring to see a small child look up at me and, you know, basically crying, asking me not to hurt daddy. It was, you know, still see it after all these years. And then another situation was when I was literally, you know, my son's holding a magazine of me on a cover of Black Belt magazine and. I have a guy who thinks I cut him off, and he's just calling me every name in the book and challenging me and just, you know, doing everything he possibly could to get a fight out of me, and I decided, you know, you know, just not take the bait, and uh, my son was incredulous because he's a little guy at the time, and he thought being on Black Belt, meant, you know, being on the cover of Black Belt meant that you just had the right to go out and <laughs> beat down anybody that, you know, just didn't show you respect, and, you know, that's the way little boys think. And, you know, I had to tell him that, you know, there's all sorts of realities to that. And so but I did. I was incensed. I mean, there's my son and this guy is making, you know, making fun of me. But I also had to sit there and say, you know, is it worth the risk? Is it worth the risk of me going out? Yeah, I probably could take care of the situation. But, you know, what if the guy had a gun? What if we end up what if I end up inadvertently, you know, um severely injuring him or killing him. And then uh, now, what what am I dealing with? And, you, you know, you just have to sit there and think of these things ahead of time. And that's really what the book helps provoke. It, it causes you to sit there and consider things that you probably haven't had to consider before. And it really gives you a really nice roadmap of how to live your life and minimize the chance of violence ever coming into it.
0: Well, what else in closing, Tim?
1: Uh, you know, I just appreciate the opportunity, uh, that everybody has, and I would love to reach out to your people, uh, you know, instead of just, I would love everybody to buy the book, When Violence is the Answer, but if you go to whenviolenceistheanswer.com, just put your name where we ask for your email, and that'll, it says you should buy the book first, and you should, but I've released it so you can just get the modules. There's 10 modules that I did, 10 video modules I did to the book. It'll allow you to hear me go more in depth on everything. And then if you think it's worth it after hearing us, I would love for you to buy the book. Understand, I don't make much money off of the book at all. It's my publisher. But what it does, what you do by supporting me by buying the book is you're letting the publishing world know, in the world of media, know that this is an important subject and that we need to look at this, and that we don't need to stigmatize violence, that we have to make sure that law-abiding citizens have access to the tool of violence. And if they don't, then it's only going to be, you know, like it is right now, where really the only people that have access to the tool of violence are the predators. And that's just wrong. It shouldn't be that way. And by looking at the subject, it doesn't make you a criminal. It doesn't make you a bad person, you know. Um, The reason I say violence is because self-defense and murder are things that are determined after you use the tool of violence. It's not something before, you know, violence is, is what allows us to go home to our loved ones, you know, and using violence correctly, it's ruled as self-defense and justifiable. If it's a criminal use, well, then it goes in the criminal side of things, but, Violence itself isn't good or bad. It's just a tool, and we all should know how to use it.
0: I agree. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tim. I I really, really appreciate you making time to to be with me and and also, if you have another book coming out, um, do you do you have one in the works that you want? You
1: own? know, they want me to get start another one. I just I need a break. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> easy I need to get There, there is. I want to go more in depth in some of the subjects that I covered in this book. Uh, there, I uncovered a lot of really good material, but I think I'm gonna give myself a break.
0: Okay. Well, if if or when you do that, go that round. I would love to have you back on to talk about it. Maybe you know early before it's released to try to. Help get the word out. Uh, that
1: would be great. Well, Thad, thanks so much for uh, ha- for having me on and let me talk to you people.
0: Well, thank you for listening to my interview with Tim Larkin. I had a great time with him. I'm going to ask that you do two things. One is that you go to iTunes if you are an Apple user and that you rate the podcast. Not only just a rating, a review would actually be better, but I'll take what I can get. I need honest feedback. I am pretty critical of myself, but actually I think it's accurate criticism of myself. I don't like listening to me speak, so I'll stop rambling here. Secondly, I'm going to ask that you check out my Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash patriot to the core. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. This is just an opportunity for people to support. It's not really donations. It's where you get something in return, so you're considered a patron. Throw in a few bucks a month, there are there are some options there, and you may, you'll may you get access, early access to the episodes, a signed book, and there's a few other options there as well. So just something to consider to help support the cause here at Patriot to the core. One of my goals was to get a new logo. I now have a new logo. I'm still not sold on it, but it's a lot better than it was. So I'll take that for now until I can get someone to modified a little more. Someone who can read my mind, basically. Thank you very much for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated.